highest of heights to the depths of the and Shaphan read it before the king. Now notice what happens. And again, this is when he's 26 years old, in the 18th year of his reign. Do you remember what we just read a few moments ago? That it was in the 20th year that he started really doing these things for the Lord, cleaning out all the idolatry. But now, six years later, now he reads the word of God. Can you believe that? Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. Shaphan, the scribe, read the found book of God before the king. It had been forgotten and regarded as nothing more than an old dusty book. Now it was found, read, and spread. We should expect some measure of spiritual revival and renewal to follow. Throughout the history of God's people, when the Word of God is recovered and spread, spiritual revival follows. It can begin as simply as it did in the days of Josiah, with one man finding and reading and believing and spreading the book. Now let's join Pastor Rob's teaching, already in progress. Father was really Ammon, right? Because we read about him last week. But when it speaks of his father, it speaks of uh, his father David. It's mentioning him as his ancestor because this word that is used and called father, it's called Ab, where we get the word Abba for father. It means Ab, and it can mean in in the immediate sense, like um, you know, his father was Ammon, or figuratively in a remote sense, like David was his ancestor going back, his father going way, going way back a couple hundred years. But notice again the, the benchmark, the comparison to David's reign. All of these kings have been related back to David because David had a right heart toward God. Now, what was he without fault? Was he without fault? No, he had faults. We know he created some, did some pretty bad things, but did he repent? Yes, he did. And did he have a heart after God's own heart? Yes, he did. Was he the sweet psalmist of Israel? Yes, he was. A wonderful king. A wonderful king after God's own heart. And he says, Josiah is just like him. He's just a wonderful man. Now, immediately after those two verses, um, go to 2 Kings chapter 23. You might want to keep your finger or a, a bookmark in Second Chronicles 34 because we're going to come back there. 2 Kings 23, verses 26 and 27. And, and this is really a, uh, a reality check and also God speaking of impending doom even in spite of Josiah's wonderful reign. Notice what it says in verse 26 of 2 Kings 23. Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn from the fierceness of his great wrath with, with which he, his anger was aroused against Judah because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. So even though Manasseh had repented while he was in captivity in Babylon and returned to his throne, God was going to still judge Judah 
Judah for its idolatry. God was going to be faithful to what he had said in Deuteronomy concerning the blessings for obedience and the curses for disobedience. And Manasseh's son, Ammon, would continue in the idolatry of his father and further bring calamity upon Judah. And again, there is a place in the life of an individual, of a nation, where they cross that line. And this is why it's important, even for us, Now, we don't have to worry about our salvation if we're believers. But see, I don't want to live a life uh, like Judah or like Israel, where I flirted with the line. Where's the line? How far can I go before God drops the hammer on me? Never live a life like that. Never live a life with that mindset. In fact, it would be better as Christians, even as Christians, even though we know we're going to glory, don't flirt with sin. Don't flirt with that line. Wherever you think that line is, it might be shorter than you think. <laughs> and you, you, may, you may be going to heaven if your life gets cut short, but there, there are people that, that, I, that, I, that I know who are believers, and there were issues in their life, and they just didn't get them under control. And God allowed their life to be cut short because of their sin. And I have no doubt that they're in glory, but God is like, he's saving the soul because the sin was so great and they just weren't ready and weren't something was happening and it just they weren't ready to get rid of it and it can be destructive but remember that Jesus is the good shepherd he's the good shepherd and i and he leads us in pasture in the good pasture he leads us in good places and so don't flirt with that line stay away from the edge Stay far away from the edge. Live your life like the edge is the worst thing because it really is the worst thing. Don't flirt with the edge, even as believers. Stay away from it. Live a life consecrated to Christ. Amen? And so verse 27, And the Lord said, I will also remove Judah from my sight as I have removed Israel and will cast off this city Jerusalem which I have chosen and the house of which I said my name shall be there. So the Jews thought that God would never touch Jerusalem or the temple. Um, uh, They had this false sense of security apart from obedience. But here God is saying that he's going to cast it away. He's going to cast it away. In fact, God said this, and let me just read this to you. It's in 2 Kings 21, beginning in verse 10. And the Lord spoke to his servants, the prophets, saying, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations, he's acted more wickedly than all the Amorites who were before him, and also has made Judah to sin with his idols. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such calamity upon Jerusalem and Judah that whoever hears of it both of his ears will tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab. I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. And so I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies. And they shall become victims of plunder to all their enemies. Why? Because they have done evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came out of Egypt, even to this day. That is the reason. But God would have compassion on his people. Even in spite of their debauchery and their sin, God would have compassion on them and not push them away forever. 
He would restore them to their land and ultimately bless them. There's so many scriptures in the Old Testament that speak of God bringing his remnant, the Jews, out from the lands from which they were taken captive. Even in, from 70 AD when they were dispersed all throughout, the, all throughout the world and he brought them back in 1948. That was a partial prophecy of, of, of some of these uh, scripture passages. And I'd just like to read one to you. In Jeremiah 32, it says this, God having compassion on them, even in spite of their sin. Now therefore, uh, this is Jeremiah 32, verse 36. He says, Now therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning this city, of which you say it shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence. Behold, I will gather them, notice this, out of all the countries where I have driven them in my anger, in my fury, and in great wrath, I will bring them back to this place. I will cause them to dwell safely. Does that sound like a God who just wanted to squash them like a bug and be done with them? No, he, he caused them to go into captivity, but his heart was always to bring them back because he had made promises to David. He had made promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God was going to be faithful to his promise. And even as he was faithful to that promise that he gave to those men, he's also going to be faithful to the things that he said to them, that if they didn't obey, they would be punished. And if they obeyed, they would have blessings. God was going to be faithful to that as well, in the midst of that bigger overarching uh, promise that he had made. He says, I'm going to bring them back, and they will dwell safely. They shall be my people. I will be their God. And then I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them. And that's God's heart. For the good of them and their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them from doing good, but I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. Yes, I will rejoice over them to do them good, and will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and with all my soul. For thus says the Lord God, just as I have brought the, all, all this great calamity on this people, so I will bring the, on them all the good that I have promised them. Isn't that awesome? I don't know about you, but I, I love the promises of God because even in his wrath, he has promises and his heart is for good, and he's going to bring them back. So go to Second Chronicles. You had your finger there. Go back to uh, chapter 34, Second Chronicles. We're going to finish uh, in verses 3 through 7 now. Notice in verse 3 it says, For in the eighth year of Josiah's reign, so if he started when he was eight years old and now we're eight years into his reign, what does that make him? 16 years of old, you got it. So for in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. And in the 12th year, so that means he's 20 now, right? He began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images. Now, notice how he sought the Lord while he was young. And for those of you who are in earshot of this or are here tonight, if you're a young person, <laughs> notice that while he was 20 years old, what are uh, some 20-year-olds, what are they doing today? But this young man, he had a heart after God. He loved the scripture. He loved God and he loved to do the right things. And what a marvelous miracle that is. When I was 20 years old, I was a rotten, filthy, scoundrel beast. And here this man at 20 is tearing down the things that his grandfather and his great-grandfather, the wickedness that they had done. He did it because God touched his heart. He had a different heart. 
Let me ask some of the young people who who are going to hear this. Are you looking for love? Are you looking for forgiveness? Are you looking for grace and adventure? What young person doesn't want love and adventure and even grace and forgiveness? If you do, then come to Christ. Because let me tell you something about walking with Christ. That life is an adventure. It's a wonderful adventure. You'll never be bored if you're walking with him. If you're really serious about your walk with him, your life will never be boring. And I can tell you, my life is not boring. I love my life now more than I've ever did, but it's not without trial and tribulation. And now I know for the first time in all of my life, I am very alive. Because when one day I'm smiling and I'm excited, and the next day I'm on on my carpet in my office weeping like a child, something is happening. And i got to be honest with you, in the last 24 hours I've gone through that, that roller coaster. As I was sharing with you, you know, hearing of the... Uh, of the of the murders down there in, in that Christian school. It broke my heart in a million pieces for more than one reason. Found myself weeping, laying flat on my stomach in, the, in my office, just crying. And then getting good news <laughs> that the Lord spoke to somebody and gave us a huge lump sum of money for our, and we talked about this earlier, you know, for, for the, the security things and other things that we need to do. And it was a complete amazement. And then I'm up on cloud nine again. And then down in the depths. Life in, in Christ can often be like that. It's very ra- rarely to mind the clouds all the time. I would have liked to have stayed on that. I would have liked to have remained up on that puffy cloud and just kind of float for a couple weeks, to be honest with you. But God allowed me a few moments. And there, there's more moments I'm still thanking God for what he did. And I'll still rejoice in it for weeks to come, months to come. But notice back in verse 4, notice what he did at 20 years old. He broke down the altars of the Baals in his presence and the incense altars which were above them he cut down and the wooden images, these, these Canaanite goddess images that they would make of Asherah, this female Canaanite goddess of fertility. He broke those down. He broke down the carved images, the molded images. He broke in pieces. He made dust of them and scattered it on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem and so he did in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as Naphtali and all around with axes. And when he had broken down the altars and the wooden images, had beaten the carved images into powder, cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel, he returned to Jerusalem. Notice that he initiated this at 20 years old. In the 12th year of his reign, He did that. Prompted by the Spirit. Would to God that more young people would initiate these kinds of things in the church within its walls and outside, and especially outside of it. You know, young people, get behind it. Get behind it. Get your heart involved. And live life. Live life with a purpose. And the greatest purpose is for Jesus. Not for anything else. 
There's no greater thing you can do with your life than to give it to him and be completely sold out to Christ. I wish I had come to Christ earlier. It would have saved me a mountain full of hurts and pains and memories that I would love to forget that are etched in my memory forever. I would love to forget all of those things. Go now with me to 2 Kings chapter 22. We're going to pick up in verse 3. Because remember, so now we talked about what he did when he was, you know, uh, at 16 years old, then at 20 years old. Now we're going to be looking at what he did when he was 26 years old. 2 Kings chapter 22, beginning in verse 3. What does it say? It came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah. So this is around 622 B.C. Josiah would be 26 years old. That the king sent Shaphan, the scribe, and the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, to the house of the Lord. And this is what he said. Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money which has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered from the people. Now, if you remember, back um, about 200 years prior to this, there was a king of Judah by the name of Joash. And he put a chest, if you remember, with a hole in the top of it, just like the one we have over there for our offerings up on that wall. He put a chest with a hole in it, and he set it outside of the altar where people would come and they would put money in it, and it would be to help upkeep the temple and, and, the, and the services and everything of that nature. And that's why we do what we do. I like the idea of having put, you put things in there because it's, it's what they did here. And so they gather this money, and, and notice what he, jo, uh, Josiah goes on, and he tells them, and let them deliver it into the hand of those doing the work who are the overseers in the house of the Lord. Let them give it to those who are in the house of the Lord doing the work to repair the damages of the house, to the carpenters and builders and masons, and to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house. So remember that Manasseh, his great-grandfather, was king for 55 years in Jerusalem, and he did a lot of damage to Jerusalem and to the house of God with his idolatry. And Ammon, Manasseh's son, he only reigned for two years and was evil. So Josiah had a lot of work to do to restore Jerusalem, to restore the house of God that had been completely left in disarray and disrepair. He's got a lot of work to do. However, verse 7, there needed to be no accounting made with them of the money delivered into their hand because they dealt faithfully. And I, I noticed the trust that was between Josiah and the priesthood and these laborers. There was a, a camaraderie. There was a, a heart trust. Isn't it a wonderful thing to be able to trust people? Because today I find that you really can't trust people. <laughs> trust is something that's earned, isn't it? Well, I'm a Christian. You, ha you have to trust me. And when people tell me that line, I say, that immediately makes me not trust you. Because when you tell me that I have to trust you, it's probably because you got something up your sleeve. No, trust is earned. It's a fruit of your faithfulness. You trust somebody because you've examined their life. You've watched what they do. You don't see any bad thing, and then trust is earned. And as time goes on, that trust gets bigger and bigger. And that's why husbands and wives... That we should never betray the trust of our spouses because you can live for several years and be just fine and say one thing, do one thing, and totally undermine the trust of your spouse. And it takes a long time to rebuild it again. So important for us to be faithful. 
And when we fail, we confess it as sin, right? And God forgives us and we move on. And, but just be patient with everybody else around you because, because of the fact that you blew it, you've got to rebuild that trust and that takes time. Don't expect everybody just to drop everything and say, oh, we trust you again. Didn't happen. You can forgive them, but trust is something that takes time to rebuild. Follow me? It's true, whether we like it or not. Um, and so, verse 8, So Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the scribe, he says, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. I, you know, you think about this church. You know, we got Bibles laying around everywhere, and now they found one book of the law. <gasps> they found the book of the law. We found it. There's one. And they're doing their garage sale and all the stuff that they're doing and throwing all these boxes and junk out of the temple and all these idols. And, oh, we found a book of the law. Can't believe it. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And these would be the scrolls of the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's all they had. That's all they had, folks. So Shaphan the scribe, he went to Josiah the king, bringing the king word, saying, Your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of those who do the work, who oversee the house of the Lord. And then Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Now notice what happens. And again, this is when he's 26 years old, in the 18th year of his reign. Do you remember what we just read a few moments ago? That it was in the 20th year that he started really doing these things for the Lord, cleaning out all the idolatry. But now, six years later, now he reads the word of God. Can you believe that? Think about that. I I could understand him reading or having the book of the law read at this point and then for having him engage and finally do it, but he did this before he read it. Before the book was found, God had already touched his heart. He didn't need the the scrolls to do what God was going to do. Do you follow But now, six years later, after he did all these wonderful things, the words of the book of the law are read to him, and he tore his clothes. He tore his clothes. And I find it interesting that even though he was a king, he was supposed to have written his own copy of the law and had it with him. And now he's 18 years into his reign and it's never happened. This is evidently the first time he's seen the whole thing. In Deuteronomy, it tells us in chapter 17, beginning in verse 14, listen to this. He says, when you, and God's speaking to the children of Israel, when you come into the land which the Lord your God has given you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses, one from among your brethren you shall set as king over you. You shall not set a foreigner over you. And he goes on and he says, you, you shall not multiply horses to yourself or cause uh, people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. You're not supposed to have multiple wives. Lest, his heart, lest they turn his heart away. And then it says also in verse 18, And also it shall be that when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, notice this, this is what every king was supposed to do, that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book. 
for the one before the priests, the Levites, and it shall be with him. He shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord as God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes. Why? That his heart may not be lifted above his brethren, that he might not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. That's the end of our lesson for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.